This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Podcast, episode number 10. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. In today's episode, I interview Rob Bryce from Fishing BC on Instagram. Rob guides on the Skeena River Basin and Tributaries and has been catching and posting amazing pics for quite a while now on Instagram. Rob talks about how to find fish on the Maurice River, the sinking line system he uses, and how to catch steelhead on dry flies during the wintertime. He shares a typical day on the Skeena, the slick shooter, and how to catch steelhead with a cigarette butt. Without further ado, here's Rob Rice from Fishing BC. How's it going, Rob? Not too bad, not too bad. And you? Good, good. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to put this together here. I've got uh, some some questions I want to dig into here. Uh, a lot of it's focused on the Skeena Basin. I've spent yeah. a little bit of time up there, and it's been actually quite a while. We're actually, I think I'm at my uh, 10 year reunion. We're talking about going back up, but uh, <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to pick your brain. I, I think I first saw you on Instagram and uh, some of the photos you were posting. So, do you want to want to dig into it here a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I um, I live actually in Terrace now. Uh, probably for the last uh, year and a half here, I've been residing here. But before that, I. Yeah, I basically was out here, it seemed, I don't know, a few times a month uh, with work and that every chance I had uh, to get out here, I was out here fishing and yeah, it is kind of just the, the mecca of uh, yeah. steelhead and salmon fishing, you know, year round here. It doesn't matter what uh, month it is, you can get out in the river and uh, and fish, whether it's one of the tribs or on the main stem skeena. That's cool. That's cool. See, that's the thing I wasn't really, when we were up there, we, uh, I think we were in, into October and then we started leaving. The thing was like snow's coming, you know, head out. But that was the other cool thing seeing your picks is that, I mean, I guess it, it does get a little cold up there, but you're fishing throughout the whole winter. Just kind of, it's a little chilly in the winter, but you're good to go still. Yeah, it doesn't, I mean, here we get some cold spells and yeah, you hang up your rod for a week and then, uh, yeah, usually another uh, big Pacific system comes in, warms things up and yeah, you're back out in the river again and I mean, most of the rivers here do close uh, December 31st, so there's, uh, you know, a few months there where we're not fishing, um, but yeah, there still is a few that they keep open, and then, uh, yeah, starting kind of February, March, things start ra- ramping up again, so you just got a short little lull there with some limited rivers that you can fish, and and then after that, it's, uh, yeah, we're good to go, and hundreds yeah. of uh Skeena river tribs yeah no that's awesome this is uh yeah i've got a bunch of questions here hopefully we can get through uh most of them uh just on the Skeena and the the system we went up there and i, I knew a little bit about it but i was kind of just sh- shooting blind a little bit on things but um yeah maybe we could just get started with a sure. little more of your background kind of how you got into fly fishing and and ultimately steelhead fishing and how you you know managed to now post all those awesome pictures <laughs> of the of the beautiful steelhead on instagram well, I started, uh, I mean, I can't say that my father really got me into it. It was probably one of my friend's uh, fathers when I was younger. We used to go out fishing on the Maurice, uh, one of the, nice. the main uh, steelhead trips. So that's where we went out. Uh, you know, the road was ba- uh, barely up the Maurice Valley there, and we'd take uh, an old pickup truck and a canoe with three of us in there, and we'd paddle down the, the Maurice River back in probably 80 to 83 was uh, when we really, you know, first started doing that. And we were gear fishing. So I started mm-hmm. out gear fishing, uh, you know, with my uh, crocodile and, you know, coho spoons and that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then, uh, yeah, after that, we started coming out to, to Terrace and fishing the, you know, the Kalem and the Kitimat and, you know, fish those a ton. And, you know, after, you know, catching fish on spoons and that, you slowly kind of, you know, it's, it's the challenge is kind of gone, I guess. Yep. And yeah, we started uh, picking up some spay rods and, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, figuring that out and yeah, haven't looked back since and. So yeah, it's uh, the Maurice. I'd say is the river I probably fished the most okay. for for steelhead. Just you know from the past, uh, you know history there with my my one friend and his father that got me into it. So okay. and and now I'm out here uh, working in Terrace and uh, okay. I started doing some uh, guiding for a friend of mine here. I still have a full time job, but did that uh, throughout the summer and always seem to have a steady uh, stream of friends and that coming nice. out as well and taking them out fishing as well. So and then any chance I get um yeah i'm pretty much out there uh out there fishing now so and yeah yeah posting pics on instagram and you said doesn't matter i almost prefer the 
you know, the months of, uh, you know, November, December, yep. you know, there's no people That's out there, right. there's lots of fish in the rivers and yeah, you got, you got everything to yourself. Basically, you don't have to worry about, uh, and not that it's super crowded out here, but yeah. you know, it's, you know, I'd like to see nobody on the river when I'm yeah. fishing. So we usually, you know, we usually go to those spots where it's, you huh. have it all to yourself. This is cool. No, it's good to hear because I think, you know, when we went up there, we, tried to fish as much as we could and the Maurice was actually one of the rivers we it was great to fish we I think we brought a drift boat up the first year we threw it in we were just yeah it felt like we were in sections all to our own then you heard you know the last you know 10 years that you know you hear these stories oh it's getting busy busy it's crazy up there but it sounds like there's still it's not not too big of a deal you can still find some water to fish and um, yeah it's I mean that the common you know the you know, the main stem skeena, I'd say, isn't that busy. There's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of gravel bars. But, yeah, you get onto the Bulkley, the Maurice, the Kispiox, and, yeah, they're starting to get uh, get busier. And I usually don't yeah. fish them a lot right now. The Maurice isn't as bad because you can go to some of the uh, the upper parts of it and get away from uh, yeah. most of the people. But, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, you hear the stories and see the pictures now of the, you know, of the Bulkley during prime time, uh, you know, in late September, early October. It can, yeah, there can, I don't know probably 40, 50, 60 boats on some of the stretches there. And mm-hmm. same with the Kispiox, there might be 30, 40 people on, uh, you know, one drift. So it's, yeah. it's kind of just, you know, but we have the benefit of living here. So we kind of got some, you know, inside knowledge on some of the other systems and we don't have to fish those systems during prime time. We can, you know, be off doing, uh, other rivers. So sure. Sure. No, that's good. Uh, so yeah, you mentioned the Maurice is that, uh, maybe you could explain, uh, for somebody new to it, uh, how you fish it and how you get into fish up there, just maybe go do a rundown on the, you know, the whole thing as far as the gear and flies and things like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, pr- I'm primarily, uh, you know, the, the Maurice is known for, you know, for its dry fly action. And we have a few runs we know that are, you know, shallow and, uh, the fish are there and, you know, we know that those runs are holding fish. We'll, we'll bring out our dry flies and go through them first with that. Just kind of, I'm typically using little foam patterns and that because I hate uh, when they get submerged and, uh, you know, having to dry them out. So, yeah, so we're just uh, out there, yeah, basically swinging uh, dry flies out there in some of the pools. And then myself, I'm still a Skagit guy. I got, uh, you know, typically bigger flies, you know, intruders, you know, style flies Mm -hmm. and and uh you know swinging those usually for me on the maurice it's it's not a big river up there and five feet of t14 is probably my go-to uh sink tip for for almost everything i do for steelhead so it uh you know unless i'm fishing some really big water and big tanky stuff uh for the most part uh five feet and then the smaller systems you know two and a half feet of t14 so that's what i'm using is those mouth tips most of the time for for my fishing and yeah the maurice has i mean it's got so much water there you can uh you know we go out we're usually blasting up from owen flats which is i think at 30 kilometer roughly Mm -hmm. or 29 kilometer on the maurice road and um you get a few less people up there and and you know we can run the jet boat up uh you know 50 kilometers up to gosnell and uh fish all the way up there and then when it opens up later you can even go up further towards the lake so there's plenty of water up there and when you get to know the pools and the runs and that you know you're just fishing the ones that you know are are typically holding fish and but you know for someone new it's you know there's still lots of water if you know how to read water you're going to get into fish on the maurice it's yep it's uh you know it's it's you know water's water for steelhead but um yeah it's that difficult but when you you know you have that inside knowledge you see some of the guides up there too and they have their favorite runs that they, you know, they're out there every day. So there's usually a few guide boats uh, oh, sure. in that upper section as well. And they have a lodge. I'm not sure if they still use it, but um, there is a lodge up there on the hmm. Maurice too. But I don't know if they actually stay overnight there. But typically two or three jet boats up there. And then you got the 30 kilometers uh, kind of down from, from Owen Flats down to uh, to the basically the junk- junction with the Bulkley. Yeah. And, yeah, the, there's a drift there from Aspen down to Bimac. Um, about 14 kilometer drift and that's probably the most popular one it goes from rec site to rec site or campground to campground mm-hmm. and and uh, I would say that's probably you know if you're drifting in that you don't see a lot of jet boats on that one uh, there's not really a launch at the upper end of it so most guys are drifting that section you won't start seeing jet boats till the the bottom four or five k of that mm-hmm. drift mm-hmm. Um, and then lots of walk-in spots I mean we'll fish it right up till December 31st and you know by then it's uh, you know there can be two three feet of snow on the ground yeah. up there so we're just walking into spots we know that uh, you know are holding fish and uh, yeah and then we we walk in usually I have taken a little 
raft with a jet on it, uh, you know, oh, just yeah. throwing it down the snowbank and and uh, away we go with a little 25 jet up there. But for yeah. the most part, you only in the winter time we only seem to be fishing three or four runs and fishing them hard. So yeah, yeah. but no, it's a nice river and. You said they're they're small fish though. The Maurice's if you're in there for looking for some big fish, the Maurice's predominantly one year ocean fish. So, you know, they're that five to seven, five to eight pounds is pretty much the norm. You know, if you get a fifteen pounder you're you've got a big yeah. fish, Maurice, and yeah. even ten pounds is, is a pretty good size fish for That's there. Cool. So they are they're all smaller but they're aggressive. And uh yeah, it it uh, the Maurice does have um, the largest component of uh, Skeena River steelhead. So as far as the numbers go, it uh, you know it's usually twenty five percent of the entire Skeena run wow. is in the Maurice. Wow, so, that's crazy. Uh, that's yeah, a- it's a big producer. It's got the lake up there, which is uh, huh. Maurice Lake, a massive lake up uh, in the headwaters there, and that typically buffers it from any uh, you know large uh, you know rain events in that. And the further up you oh, go, the yeah. clearer it'll be. It'll be high, but it's usually still fishable. The higher up you go up the Maurice and you know the further down you go closer to the Bulkley it can get uh, blown out and then it does take a while though to, to clean up though it's yeah. one of those systems that you know blow out uh, it'll take a while to blow out but uh, when it does then it's uh, it'll take a while to get back in shape again mm-hmm. no that's cool yeah so you're fishing uh, so you mentioned reading water. I mean, I remember when we jumped in the Maurice, that was always, that is always the challenge. You have all this water. It all, it all looks good. You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can fish everything. That's kind of what we did. And, you know, you end up probably fishing some water that's not the best. But do you have any, any tips on, um, you know, if it, as far as reading water, when you come down, you have a huge, you look and it just looks like all one big run. Do you, do you kind of go start the head or the, uh, the tail or how, how do you do it? Or how would you recommend a new person to the, to the Maurice do it? Oh, I mean, I mean, typically I would just, you know, if you just stick to the, you know, the walking speed water with a nice little, uh, seam there, that's, I mean, that's yeah. going to kind of be your, your money, your typical water. But the Maurice does have, uh, I don't know. The one thing I've learned about that when the water gets high, it has all kinds of little, like kind of little slots or, you know, back channels and that. And on those seams of those back channels, we seem to catch a lot of fish. Oh, yeah. They're just kind of hanging out in that little bit of slack water between a little side channel and typically just huh. when it gets uh the water gets high and you know they're not sitting out in the the big long runs anymore with them when the velocity's picked up and we've we've learned that over the years that uh fishing those little seams between a little side channel that veers off and you know it could be stagnant in there and even in those there's i mean it's not you know you're not swinging necessarily as much or it's it's a very slow swing but <laughs> they're sitting in some of those uh mm-hmm. you know those slow stagnant water sometimes even in the maurice i've noticed that that these little back channels and they're sitting in there with and i'm not sure sometimes maybe they're in there with the coho um you know they get a decent run of coho going oh, up yeah. the maurice and and you know steelhead do like to eat uh, coho eggs and yeah. the coho love that slack water yeah. You know, you'll see them in there splashing and jumping. And, uh, you know, I've seen so many times now when you catch a steelhead and it's got eggs, it's puking out of its mouth. Hmm. So That's I cool. think that, they, you know, my thing is they could be sitting in there uh, going after the coho eggs. But, yeah, it is it is daunting, you know, these big, long runs. And, you know, if we get out there, you know, jet boat and we've got three of us in there, you know, we can spread out and yeah. cover the water pretty good. Uh, you know, and the tail outs, I mean, I'm always, for me, I love the tail outs. Mm-hmm. I, Love it, uh, nice and shallow, and uh, you know if you're gonna skate a dry fly through there, it's it's uh, shallow enough for them to get a really good look at it. So I mean, if I have a choice, I'd always pick the the tailout for me. And and you know we've yeah. had some amazing days in some of those tailouts where they're you know and you float by afterwards in your raft or in the jet boat, just turn it off and float by, and you can see them all scattered no in the, oh, the tailout. So, but you know, with that said, we catch them everywhere. Yeah, you know, up at the head, and you know, right in the big tank sometimes in the meat of it, and and you know, usually there, some of my buddies will be using heavier sink tips, and that uh, you know will you know usually be a benefit in, in you know some of the the tanks or the the, yep. the run and that where they're getting down deep. But you know, they are if you're there in October, September, October, they're aggressive fish. You know, you don't have to be using anything too uh, too heavy to get down to them. They're, no, they'll uh, they'll chase stuff, and you see them, you know, chasing it sometimes. Uh, you know, across the, the pool. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So you're using. So you're not really using um, super heavy fly. I mean, you've got the sink tip on. Or are you just using your typical uh, intruder style, or you know, with uh, some bead eyes, that sort of thing? Yeah, I'll use sometimes a little. You know, a little. Um, 
beadhead or something on there. I mean, I typically like my fly and and my my uh, tip to sink at the same speed. So that's just my personal preference mm-hmm. is having a little bit of weight on my fly so that it's sinking at the same rate as uh, and I don't have to mend so much yeah. to to get that fly down. So I'd rather just you know cast out and one simple mend and let it swing kind of thing and. You know, it's, you know, if I really want to get it down deep, you know, you can get it up high and, you know, straight across and mend and mend and mend and let that thing drop. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll do that sometimes to get down into the deep tanks. But I love just, uh, yeah, cast her out there, let it swing. And I think, you know, if it, uh, if it's got some weight on that fly, it's going to go down at the same speed as the, as the sink tip. And yeah. And yeah. I mean, my personal preference, I love red flies, anything with red yeah, on them. Nice. That's just my personal preference. I know I've got, you know, blues and blacks sure. and purples, greens, whatever. But, you know, what they say, it's, you know, wherever you feel confident in. And, yeah. And uh, I don't know. I just think the red stands out. Uh, do, do you fish the red in the um, both kind of cloudier conditions and clear? Or do you find it works better in the, with the clear? I don't know. I usually just fish it, uh, you know, in everything. Yeah. It doesn't really nice. matter. I'm, you know, oranges and reds and in that uh you know it does stick out when it does get uh you know a little bit murky in there too that's what i find but i'm usually just uh you know and sometimes we'll put on some real small kind of hobo style things there's not a whole lot of meat to them but uh but i don't know usually we're just you know we got a little fly and cast her out let her swing and you know we can go all day with i'm not one of these guys who switches up continually you know you know pool after pool and i'm not getting anything i think if they're in there they're going to take your fly and it doesn't matter what, uh, you know, there's stories of guys, uh, hooking up a cigarette butt and, <laughs> uh, asking, you know, and catching steelhead yeah. that I think as long as that thing's, you know, swinging or moving it, uh, yeah, they're going to chase it down. So I think the color and yeah. style and all that isn't as important, even though people put so much time and effort into, I know. you know, the look of their flies, which is great. They have pride and passion in them, but, uh, yeah. I mean, my personal opinion is that they're not that fussy, uh, you know, it's usually whoever goes through there first or has the best presentation that uh, ends up getting them. Yeah, so. yeah, no, that's a great point, especially for somebody new to this, realizing it's like just pick a fly and fish it. You know, the yeah. fact that, you know, color, you know, is important, but it's not critical. It's more getting to the fish. So, no, that's, uh, that's a good a good point for sure. So are you using a um, just a tip like a 13-foot rod with a, like 8-weight or what sort of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. usually I got an 8-weight, 7-8-weight um, um yeah, 13 and a half. I got all, I mean, all mine are pretty much G. Loomis uh, rods, gadget rods. I do have, uh, I got a couple switch rods as well that uh, now, and a lot of these smaller systems I fish, uh, this, you know, strictly a, a seven or eight weight uh, switch rod. Oh, cool. um, you know, it feels a lot better. So is that you don't like have a, to, how, what's the length? Uh, 11 feet. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, 11 foot uh, switch rod. And yeah, you can still bomb it out there quite a ways, even, you know, with the intruder style and, you know, I'm never chucking more than usually two and a half or five feet of T14. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you're not chucking real heavy lines on it. But, uh, but yeah, so even on the Maurice now, I, I'd still probably you know, almost go more to that. Doesn't you know, unless we're on some big runs where you really gotta get it out to the far side. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I just normally yeah, or 13 and a half foot. Uh, you know, and I'm using this you know compact gadget and then i'm i'm always using the real slick shooter that's what i use for my uh, running line okay i think it just casts better and it's cheap you know ten dollars for you know for that 50 pound uh you know a uh, roll of that and uh-huh. it's thin diameter and yeah i mean when it's cold out it's sometimes a little tough to to handle but yeah it sure casts far and huh. doesn't take up a lot of space on your reel you can really load it up um, so that's what I'm using right now. And all mine is just the, the 50 pound real slick shooter for running line. And, cool. and, uh, yeah, yeah, I know, but it's personal preference. Guys have their preferences on what they like to use and, and, uh, that's fine, but that's what's worked for me. Yeah. Nice. Nice. That's great. So, uh, some more good tips there. Uh, what, um, maybe you can clarify the whole, you know, throughout the season, you know, you have the fall fishery and into the kind of the winter spring, can you do a little rundown on, you know, where the fish are at or, you know, where it might be good places to fish? Because we really focused on the fall, but uh, there's a whole other end that's kind of in that, that other end of the season. Um, yeah, well, the, that's the beauty of the, the whole Skeena system and the whole North Coast here is, is um, you know, there's two runs of fish. We, you know, what people call summer run fish, which start coming into the system 
um, you know, late June, but, you know, primarily the end of July was when the big push starts. And they'll come in right until September. Um, and then, yeah, they start, uh, you know, making their way into their, their Skeena River tribs or even the main stem Skeena. If they're, uh, you know, spawning their home river, some little creek that's not big enough to overwinter and they'll be up, uh, you know, just in the main stem Skeena and the big uh, canyons and tanks and that just overwintering in there. Um, and yeah, if they're in, you know, one of the bigger systems, they'll go into, you know, some of the, the bigger holes and tanks and that and overwinter in the, in the deep pools. So that's the, the summer run fish that, uh, kind of gets the most attention and that makes up about 80% of the run on the Skeena. And as a general kind of rule of thumb, anything above terrace, um, on the Skeena, so about a hundred, uh, 150 kilometers from, from the ocean, depending on where you kind of say the ocean is. Um, so anything above terrace would be summer run fish. Oh, okay. Anything below terrace would be spring or winter run fish gotcha. and anything right in around terrace. So we have the copper river here, um, the, the Kalem river, the Lake else, uh, Zimacord. So there's three or four rivers right in around terrace within about 10 kilometers and they all have both. So they have summer run fish that have already come in and, uh, usually go up into the, you know, the further reaches and then over the winter and then more so in March and April, the, the spring run will come in and those will typically be in the lower ends of the copper, the lower ends of the Calum and Lake Else and that they'll start to come in, um, in the, in the winter or spring. So some people call them winter fish, some hmm. spring fish, but I think the big push, um, for the spring fish is usually March and April, mm-hmm. um, when they start coming in and that fishery is really, really getting popular now. Oh, I remember is. coming here when, you know, 20 years ago and you'd barely see anyone out in the Skeena or anywhere. <laughs> fishing those spring run fish and i don't even think most people realize that there was steelhead coming up the you know the, the skeena in march and april and mm-hmm. you know they started kind of started fishing in you know mid-april to late april for them and then now you got uh, guides and people out there in march uh fishing for these fish coming up and you know it is a small run and, and they're primarily like i said going into the tribs below terrace with a few around here in terrace and then the tribs all the way down to the ocean um you know, you got the Gitnadoiks and Cassocks and Xjamsics and all these little creeks in that 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 have um, not huge runs of of uh, steelhead. They're primarily, I would say, the rivers that we have uh, below Terrace are primarily coho rivers and really good coho rivers. Mm. But they will have um, steelhead in them as well. So, and then the beauty of uh, you know, not really Skeena related, but the spring fisheries, any creek out there. On the north coast, um, you know, that's kind of small in size, will have some spring fish in it. And that's kind of my favorite thing is you can go on a map or Google Earth and pick out a creek and you can be guaranteed it will have steelhead in it. It may only have five, ten fish. It may yeah. have a hundred fish. Who knows how many are in there and what kind of habitat it has. And But, uh, you know, it'll have fish. And, you know, if you're into bushwhacking and that and hiking up these things and, yeah, I don't know, there's nothing like going into a little creek with this fish that's just come in and uh yeah they're then they come in pretty quick they're they're in and out there lots of them are you know coming in in uh, in late april and then they spawn and they're right back out again so those are kind of two fisheries that we have here these summer runs which are far more aggressive Mm -hmm. you know dry flies and and yeah they chase stuff down the spring fish are nowhere near as aggressive you know the water's colder and and uh yeah they typically come in and then rip right back out again so those are the two uh the two fisheries that we cool that we hear yeah yeah so that, that yeah that makes sense it's uh so that's why yeah the summer fishery is it not only is it more popular but there's a lot more fish out there and so if you had to say you know you somebody was going to come up there had they had a couple weeks you know what would be a good uh would you recommend for the a good time to go up there if they just had two weeks oh. to hit it <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's tough to it what do you want to do if you want to you know if you like catching uh fish on big water and you yeah. know, big river. I mean, the main stem Skeena in August is, uh, you know, if it's in half decent shape, there's nothing like catching, you know, 15, 20 pound steelhead on the, that big water out there yeah. swinging and, uh, watching that fish come up. And I don't know, that's, that gets some people's juices going and big, long gravel bars. And, you know, you're only fishing maybe three of them a day kind of thing yep. from top to bottom. And hmm. you're fishing for migrating fish, fish that are on the move. They're not, yeah. you know, in the pools waiting there. Um, so it's, you know, but you, you know, you may be getting one, two a day. That might be your, uh, you know, I, I tell people not to get their hopes up because most people I know that come up here, usually don't catch anything, uh, especially in the spring fishery. They come up and, you know, it's getting, uh, hammered pretty good now in the spring yeah. and they're just going to the, you know, the spots where everyone else is going and, 
those fish have been worked over pretty good so sure. it's it's tough but you know for two weeks if that's the kind of water you like if you want uh, dry fly mm-hmm. action then uh you know september you know september 15th to the 30th is uh mm-hmm. probably the time to come and that's when the fish are just getting into the different tribs and um yeah you'd uh go for you know even early october as well for uh for dry fly i mean you can catch them on we've caught dry flies right into december even when there's yeah. ice chunks coming down the river so totally. in some of the systems they're still pretty aggressive and uh they'll take anything on the surface yeah and so- if you're just more into numbers and and mm-hmm. less people you want nobody around you know november is a good month uh some fish are still trickling in but uh, i would say most of them are you know, in the system now. And one of the guys who taught me was just saying, you know, for pure numbers, if you're fishing, you know, in August and September, early September, there might only be, you know, 20% of the fish in the system or 10% of the fish in the system. By the end of the month of September, there's, you know, 40 or 50. By the end of November, you know, you're up into that 80, 90% Mm -hmm. of uh, Mm -hmm. the fish that are in the system. So there's more fish congregated in those tribs in in November than, you know, earlier on in September, they're still migrating uh, up the Skeena and up there the rivers and you know they're not resting a, a whole lot so i would say that you know and then if you're into adventure mm-hmm. um you know the spring fishery if you're into uh, bushwhacking and uh, you know not big numbers but you want to fish in some beautiful little systems and that with guaranteed almost nobody there then i would say the spring is uh is probably uh, your best bet so it's i think it just depends on what kind of fishing you want to do for for mm-hmm. steelhead and and it's hard to to say, I mean, right now for me, I think I find the spring fishery for me is almost, I don't know, one of the, you know, my funnest times and best times, even though we don't mm-hmm. catch a lot of fish, but we just get in the jet boat out in the ocean and just start looking for little creeks and mm-hmm. tribs and start walking and yeah, and cool. uh, see what happens. Yeah, so. yeah. I was thinking back, you mentioned the uh, swinging uh, dry flies. I saw a video you had out there. I think it was with Captain Quinn. Yeah, um, where you guys picked up. I think it was in November. You're, you're picking them up on yeah. dries, and the water was pretty cool. But yeah, so you guys are you're able to do that throughout. Yeah, throughout the to the end of the year. Or, I mean, I guess you're not going to get as many fish as earlier, but that's pretty good. Yeah, if you know there, we know some of the runs where they're in there. That uh, yeah, you know, late November, even December. Like I said, we get them on the dry. Uh, you know, they're they're pretty active still, and so yeah, you can. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a. You know, and then if you want it, they're, you know, even more aggressive in October and September. So if that's your ultimate goal is uh, to get one on the dry fly, yeah. I would think you'd have pretty good luck if that's all you did and just, you know, work that dry fly. It, it, um, what, what, you know, uh, what pattern do you, so you said the foam fly, is there a, do you have a name for one of those patterns? Uh, I don't even know yeah. what the, I, I, mean, I know the I one, just, I, I know the one you're, I've seen the one, uh, some of your photos, it's just, yeah, your typical kind of got the foam front. Uh, I mean, it's mostly foam, pretty much. Got a little hackle on it. Yeah, yeah not much. Just creates a bit of profile, and yeah, you know, it can be big too. Those fish are, you know, they're, yeah. uh, you know, if, if we're ever using a float or something with a, you know, a little indicator or egg pattern or something on a little thingamabobber, they'll come up and take those sometimes. Yeah. Oh, that's you a, see them. Uh, no kidding. So they're pretty aggressive, and yeah, I mean, we just, I just like the foam. Just because, like I said, I hate it when it starts sinking and you know, yeah. you're putting floating on there and it's going subsurface and and this way it's it really stays high on the surface and creates that nice V and yeah. you know if we're trying to video it as well you can really see it quite well in the you know with the camera where some of the other ones the smaller ones seem to you know start sinking down below the surface and it's hard to follow them with a camera too so yeah. we always figure the bigger the better and they don't seem to you know the fish aren't too worried about oh, how big uh, they. I'll post a, uh, a link in the show notes um, of some of the pat, maybe a pattern of one of the ones I know I could probably get a shot. Maybe I'll grab one from you, but yeah, if uh, sure. they just go to, um, you can probably just type in, I think uh, Rob Bryce and I'm not sure what episode this is going to be, but uh, go to wetflyswing.com and search for Rob Bryce. And then the, your, uh, your show will come up for this episode. And then I'll have some links there to some of these flies or at least one of the foam flies. Um, yeah, no, that's cool. I think that's like the ultimate thing. I mean, if you can get them on the on the surface, and some of these times, I mean, you're getting into some monster fish. So that that is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, do you have any, you know, as far as a few steelhead tips? It's, I always like to kind of pick pick the brain of uh, of my guests to see, you know, a, a tip or two for just kind of general steelhead to help somebody if they're fishing the the Skeena system to get into maybe their first fish. Oh, well, I mean, it's complicated. That's one thing that, 
you know, some people are pretty coy on where they're, you know, where to fish and that. And yeah. some of the regulations are pretty, you know, ambiguous and where to go. And I don't know if you had any kind of local knowledge or someone that, yeah. can, you know, not even telling you your hotspot, but, um, yep. that's always, that's, a, if they just want to get a fish, it's, and the Skeena in some senses is, you know, in, in August is, you know, it doesn't matter where you go. You know, as long as you kind of got that nice kind of walking speed, uh, not super fast and mm-hmm. a little bit of a seam where, you know, those fish are coming up and migrating up and you don't have to worry about uh, it being fished over because those fish are all on the move. So mm-hmm. that's, um, you know, if they want to get one on the Skeena, it's, that's, uh, you know, you're not having to get up at uh, five in the morning to go stake out a spot somewhere yeah. or, or get, get ahead of other people because it is tough. If you've never fished here before and you're trying to find a nice spot to go fish, it's... Uh, you know, and having a boat or a raft, I'd say, is, you know, yep. you're going to eliminate, uh, you know, another 50% of the people who don't have a boat or a raft. So if you have access to some sort of raft or something and, uh, you know, you can ask around where some of the popular floats are, um, you know, on the on the Skeena systems and that, you know, like, you know, but they do get popular, as I mentioned, you know, the Bulkley, the Maurice and Kispiox mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, they all have floats that you can do. The Kalem, you can float that there. Yeah. But, it's uh about, you know so is everybody else yeah exactly how about the uh the babby i know that's more of a uh, fly-in sort of uh deal but uh do, do you have uh is there any chance for anybody to get in and drop into places to fish that river it's that one is pretty limited i've been up there a few times and to be honest it's not my uh it's not my favorite as far as uh, it's pretty there's a, a boat launch up there it's about an hour and a half drive north of uh, smithers up on a dirt road and there's a bridge that crosses and guys catch fish right there oh, okay. at the bridge that there always seems to be someone there but people you know i talk to people who go up there and they seem to have not bad luck and then you can walk down a little ways it gets pretty uh you know brushy and gnarly in that lots walking down and lots of bears yeah yeah they seem to leave you alone but uh, yep. i mean i've been up there and taken a jet boat down a few times and there's a couple guiding operations there and you know nothing against the guides they're all just trying to make a buck and that but you run into them pretty quick within about a kilometer of the boat launch you uh start running into them and their clients and all the seems all the prime holes are taken with clients and they're right you know they're shuttling them around from you know hole to hole or run to run and so it's you know we're hopscotching all day long and you would think for being up in the middle of nowhere basically it uh you know you'd have access to some water that hasn't been fished over but you know they're big fish and you know yeah. you'll get something there it's it's you know if you're up there but it's the river is pretty bouldery and nuggety and yeah you, you really have to know what you're doing to make sure your boat's running well because you're going down river and that has some yeah. uh you know some big rapids in that so it's you better have a boat that uh you know how to run and yeah, and, yeah uh, we, it's in good shape we uh you know the first year we were up there we kind of hit the maurice and fished a lot of that kind of car car camped it um but yeah. the second year we did a we did like a 10 day we set up this 10 day trip into the babine and we had like two rafts and we oh, pretty, okay and we floated all the way down into um through the canyon into the skeena eventually and down and and it was like i know it was a uh, it was pretty intense because there's some areas in there that are pretty uh, pretty <laughs> technical and i think yeah. i think we lucked out a little bit because the water was lower and some of those areas were probably not as bad as they could have been but yeah we we kind of went went for it and uh and definitely, you're right. Though we had areas where there were some jet sleds and we couldn't fish, but um, eventually, once we got down below where they couldn't go, we yeah, had, we had some good water. But um, no, that's cool. How'd you do up there on the Babine? Was it pretty good? Or? Yeah, I mean, we, um, you know, it was like it was a um, the whole trip, both years. You know, we were out there on our own, just kind of exploring, and so. But yeah, I mean, I caught the biggest fish of my life. I think I caught two or three of the biggest fish of my life on the Babine. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing. I mean, it was just, yeah, it was, uh, it was cold and just a great trip all around, but we also got, uh, some fish on the Maurice as well. Some really nice fish. The one river we didn't do well on, in fact, the river we got skunked was the Kispiox. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's definitely a, a clear, you know, clear river, but, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I guess they all fish. Do, do you find that you kind of fish the, all the rivers a little bit differently or are you kind of doing the same thing? Kind of the same thing. I mean, the Kispiox, I fish that a lot too, and it's it gets so busy now too. It's uh, yeah, it's you know the the lower end where a lot of the earlier fish are hanging out. It's it gets pretty uh, pretty busy. The local uh, First Nations there um, have a fee now too for launching rafts and fishing in there. 
um, which you thought might thin it out a bit, but not uh, really. And now we have this, you know, quality water strategy that, uh, you know, for non-residents, you know, basically they can just fish midweek. And that, you know, in talking to some of the conservation officers, I think the float we did there one time, there was a conservation officer out there and he said that there was about, I don't know, 30 people on the day we were there on a weekend. And then that bumps up to, you know, 60 to 80 people yeah. on that one stretch on the, on the, uh, midweek. So a lot more, uh, non-residents, um, fishing it. So it gets, you know, pretty busy and, you know, I go fish that later on in November when it gets colder and people have, uh, left. I don't mind fishing in the cold and that, and yep. just kind of thins a lot of the people out, but yeah, beautiful river and, and, uh, yeah, big fish in there too. Lots mm-hmm. of the, you know, the two and three year old ocean fish in the, in the Kispiox and yeah, used to have really good numbers. I think they've probably gone down a bit now, yeah. but, um, hmm. yeah, just gorgeous, you know, in the fall with, uh, all the, you know, the fall colors and that, um, you know, the, the trees and it's just beautiful. And mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things though I find there and a lot of our systems is the, you know, fishing on, you know, windy days in, you know, October and that the leaves that come down, I've had some days on the oh, Kispi. Yeah. You couldn't even really swing a fly in there. There were so many leaves in the water column that yep. you know, just sensory overload, I'm sure for any steelhead in there that, so I noticed that on the, on the Kispiox when we go fish it, if there's a big wind event, we're not, uh, typically heading out there but yeah beautiful river and you know you got a chance of you know catching a big fish in there and the, you know and the babine too has got some of the biggest steelhead mm-hmm. as well so but yeah i guess you're you're pretty lucky going down uh, doing a float like that i've never done that before but heard uh, a couple canyons in there and yeah, yeah lots of bears and, and yeah that, uh, yeah, it was a, uh, it was kind of funny because, you know, like you said, the tip you gave before was great. Talk to somebody local. And I had, we had two people. There was one guy, Big Red, who's, uh, he's a guy up there somewhere. And I was chatting with him and he was helping us with, we used a lot of his patterns. And, and, but there was this other guy and I can't remember his name exactly, but he was kind of a, um, a local. He had some connection to the helicopters or something, but we basically had an EPIRB on board. So like, you know, push the button and they would come in and get us yeah. if something crazy happened. So we, we had it set up and it was funny because he made us these hand sketched maps and yeah. one, you know, one of them was like, um, the boulder garden, you know, oh, this is a boulder garden. And we got into it, you know, expecting like just a little boulder garden. It was like a class three technical, like <laughs> serious. And then, and then there's other ones down below, like stay right or die, you know, and these sorts of things. So it, it was kind of funny, it, but it was definitely, I mean, I've done some good whitewater. I've, I've, you know, been in some pretty decent stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, you don't, you definitely don't want to go down there unless you're very experienced, uh, behind the oars, because I think, I mean, there's one spot where our boat barely was wide enough to get through the Canyon wall. I mean, that's, that's how yeah. tight it narrows up. And, uh, but it was fun, you know, we couldn't, you know, and that's the thing as we're thinking about going back up there, we're kind of trying to figure out whether we want to do that again and we'll see how it works out. But yeah, it's oh, just beautiful. A true adventure. Yeah, it was, sure. it was awesome. Um, yeah. So, uh, got uh man i got so many questions here i could just uh keep talking but uh maybe you could share a uh, uh i always like to kind of talk about a memorable steelhead moment do you have one that sticks out as far as you know i don't know whether it's a, a big fish or numbers of fish do you do you find do you find that um you know what is a good day and also i guess the second part of that what is a good day fishing on on the in the skeena system for you Oh, a good day for me. It's not numbers. It's, it's basically just fishing, you know, with, <laughs> to me, not a lot of people around and, yeah. and, uh, fishing with good company, um, friends and that, and, you know, obviously getting a fish is nice to, to have as well. But for me now, I think, you know, maybe when I was younger, it was probably more about the numbers and, you know, we wouldn't get off the river, you know, until it was dark and we'd be, <laughs> you know, we wouldn't take lunch breaks or anything. We're basically just flogging it as hard as we could all day. And, you know, I think this is probably common with a lot of people as you get older and that you, you know, you take the time, we build campfires now and hang out and have a beer and, yeah. you know, just, uh, you know, take it easy and enjoy the the surroundings. And, and so for me, I'd say that's probably more important is just fishing in a nice place that, you know, with the mountains around you and, and not a lot of people around, you know, I'd rather just take a break and not have to worry about, you know, some guys coming in below you or above you or whatever. And, and that I'd rather just, you know, I'm with my buddies here that they can, you know, there'll be two or three of us fishing a run. Um, I just hope someone gets a fish. That's, uh, yeah. But I would sure. say that's, that's for me. And that's why I like the spring fishery because we know we're going to some of these systems where we know they have fish and, and, uh, we hike up and you're, you're just fishing and you know, you're the only one on this little system and probably the only person who's fished it this year as well. Wow. So it's, uh, just nice to know that, uh, 
yeah, there, you got fish that haven't been uh, targeted at all. So, um, I don't know, as far as my most memorable, I, you know, to be honest, I've caught a lot of steelhead, but I haven't caught a lot of big fish. Yeah. You know, I've caught some, you know, in the, the 20, 21 pounds, but wow. um, even that, That's not big. a lot, uh, not a lot of those. I mean, fishing the Maurice lots and some of the other systems just haven't... Uh, what is the, what is it maybe for those that don't know, what, what is a big fish? I mean, I know there's been world records caught on the Kispiox. What is a big fish for the Skeena? I would say now if you're, you know, 20 pounds, it'd be a, a good, uh, yeah. a good fish on the, the Skeena or one of the tribs. And, you know, those are typically going to, you know, some of the tribs where, you know, they have those two and three and four year ocean fish. So that's one of the unique things about the Skeena system is, is just how variable it is with the different combinations of the steelhead life cycle. So you can have steelhead that spend anywhere from, you know, they say one to five years in the, in the river after they've, uh, you know, they've hatched from their eggs, you know, as a, as a fry and then as smolts, they come out to the ocean and, uh, then they can spend anywhere from one to four years, you know, maybe five as a, uh, feeding in the ocean and come back. And the biggest fish that we have here in the Skeena are those ones that take typically three years, maybe four year ocean fish. Um, so those would be the, you know, the 20 plus 25 pound, uh, you know, I'm sure there's 30 pounds. I'm sure in some of the commercial nets, they've caught ones, you know, I'm sure, you know, you've seen photos of them and, oh, yeah. and that's these 30 pounders that, that are out there. Yep. So it's, it's, but you know, rivers like the Babine are typically, you know, they'll have three year ocean fish is, is kind of the norm there. Same thing, you know, with the Kispiox, the Sustat, yeah. they all have, uh, you know, those two and three, maybe the occasional four year ocean fish. Um, you know, that's, that's a good thing too. Just the diversity in that, if something happens in that system, not all the fish are coming back in that one year. They're not all two year fish, you know, every system, well, even the Maurice, which is primarily one year ocean fish, will still have some twos and maybe the occasional three, but you know, it's predominantly one year, um, ocean fish. So, you know, going into these systems that, uh, if you're familiar with them, what, uh, you know, kind of what their life stage is and, and, you know, how many are the, the two or the three year, uh, or four year uh, ocean fish and you know people who want to catch a big fish then those are the systems that they you know that they typically target so it's and then they could be anywhere from you know, like i said one to to five years in the in the rivers and steelhead need uh you know typically warmer water and that to, to to grow and the rivers up here really are unproductive you know compared to the ones down in the you know in the states and that uh you know the columbia might have one and two year i would say is a predominant uh um, you know, number of years for a steelhead to, to grow in the, the systems there. Whereas up here, three would probably to, to five would be more common. So they spend a lot of time in the, the river system before they're ready to go as a smolt and survive in the ocean. And the further north they are, typically the, the longer they're going to spend in the, in the river. So rivers like the Sustat, um, you know, they're up there 560 kilometers or 550 kilometers up the Skeena, um, super high elevation 1500 meters that they've wow. these fish have swam the the summers are short they hatch you know maybe in you know steelhead hatch in 20 to 80 days the eggs and you know you might be 20 days 30 days down in the columbia system but up here you know you're the susta you're probably close to that 80 day uh, wow. window just because mm -hmm. of the water temperature so they you know our rivers everyone says oh you got you know amazing steelhead and lots of them but they really are unproductive with cold uh cold summers cold winters and they just don't grow that fast so they're they're typically taking you know three to five years uh to to basically get big enough and strong enough to survive in uh in the ocean so right it's uh you know but every system if you're familiar every system here has uh you know their kind of pattern of of you know what they're predominantly are if they're one two three year for your ocean fish and you know they the one beautiful thing about uh steelhead too is that the, they don't necessarily die after spawning and and uh, you would think that, you know, a fish that spawned, you know, there's cases of fish that have spawned three times, maybe even four times. Well, those aren't even the biggest fish. Uh, you would think, wow, that fish uh, spawned three times. It should be massive because yeah. it's, you know, come into the river, gone back out to the ocean again. But typically a uh, fish that spent, you know, a good three years or four years in the ocean that never spawned is going to be far bigger than a, you know, a 10-year-old steelhead that uh, maybe came back after two years and then went back to the ocean and back right. and forth. You know, they have cases of fish they know that were three years um, that they've caught, uh, you know, three times up in the Babine, and that fish wasn't, wasn't even that big. Mm. It was just, it spent so much time in, you know, not feeding really in right, an unproductive traveling. river that yeah. it wasn't uh, that big. But, you know, it's, and it is small, the, you know, the percentage of fish that, uh, that repeat spawn are, 
you know, I'd say about 10% up here in, in the Skeena system. So it's really not a lot of fish and, you know, yeah. it's probably in the 15% for females, 5% for uh, males who typically will, uh, you know, stick around a lot longer in the system, try and guard the reds and, and then, uh, they'll, uh, you know, be fighting with other males. They'll try and actually spawn with multiple females and then they'll come back out, head back out as a Celt and, and, uh, even just spending that extra three weeks or two weeks in the river can sometimes be detrimental. You know, they're caught in the commercial nets going back out in June. So whereas the females typically spawn and then they go right away to the ocean. So they're, you know, a bit higher percentage of, uh, of repeat spawners. And then the, I'm not sure what the numbers are in the Columbia, but, um, and the systems down there in Washington and Oregon, but they would be considerably higher, the number of repeat spawners, um, um, but even, you know, the one thing that I, I, I'm not even sure what the answer to this is, but, you know, we have these, you know, these spring systems. I said that the steelhead come in, they may only come in a kilometer or a mile, and then they, they basically spawn, they head back out. There's no commercial fishery on them. There's no nets. There's no nothing. And I always wonder why those rivers aren't uh, just jam-packed with steelhead, that uh, they basically have nothing there, really. There's no nets or commercial boats out in the ocean at that time of the year. Do you have a uh, a mentor or two, or you mentioned somebody earlier that uh, somebody that's helped you along uh, the way to get you to where you're catching so many of these uh, these nice fish? Uh, do you want to throw out a couple of names of people that helped you along the way? Well, I have uh, a couple guys that uh, actually, to be you know, to be honest, have been just immensely helpful. One of them, uh, his name is Mike Welpley. He's actually passed away now, and uh, he had I would guess that he had been on every system out here in the Skeena and in the North Coast. I could sit there with him on Google Earth or, uh, you know, some maps, and he could tell me about the fish in every single system. You know, I wish I'd recorded them. You know, kind of mm-hmm. some of the stuff stuck with me, but he worked as a, you know, he, he loved to fish. He had his own jet boats. He worked for our uh, fisheries uh, department up here as a contractor for years, and he uh, had so much local knowledge, and he was actually just shared it so freely with me that, it was just amazing that, uh, you know, he could just point on a map out there and say, yeah, this creek here has this, 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 this is when you fish it, this is where mm-hmm. we catch them. And, and yeah, just, uh, you know, my learning curve went from, yeah. from you know, zero to a hundred just instantly with that kind of information. And then I got another friend here, uh, a guy named Fred Seiler, who I work with, um, doing some jet boat tours and other things. He used to be a fishing guide and same thing when he was younger, an avid fisherman up and down every single river out here. And, same thing. He pretty much can tell me about. If I ask him about any system out there, hmm. he can provide. Uh, you know, can you run it with a jet boat? Can't you? Where oh, would yeah. you fit? Time would you go there? It's just that kind of knowledge is so tough to get from. You know, so many people here are pretty tight-lipped about. Uh, yeah. You know, sharing these you know, little systems and the information, and rightly so. I don't. Uh, I'll take you know friends of mine there, but they're you know to some of these places. But uh, you know, some of the the places I just you know I know I want to go there and fish, and I don't want to see you know 20 guys there the next time i go so it uh but yeah. yeah i'd say those those two guys have been so helpful with me and you know not as much maybe the patterns and the fly fishing techniques and in that but just on the geographical knowledge in this area which is you know one of the key things it's so vast and there's so many systems and tributaries and some of the stuff that just it kind of blows my mind sometimes the you know the stuff they tell me that you know, where we think steelhead or salmon should be in systems at this time. And, you know, this is when the the coho or the chinook or the steelhead come up and this is when they should be there. And, and but there's so many cases where that's not true. Yeah. That these fish kind of have lives of their own. And for some strange reason, they show up really early or really late and they show up in weird places. And, and, uh, hmm. you know, it's just basically they've there's, been out so many times fishing these that they've, they've discovered those things. Yeah, no, that's cool. I think that's one of the cool things about steelhead is they do have so many different life histories. There's a lot of diversity there, so it's not like you can just put them into one little box. Um, no, that's interesting. Um, I was thinking when you were mentioning, uh, I was thinking about, uh, just the resource, you know, I guess calling a local person is a, is a real good idea. Is there a resource, um, you know, it talks about the different life histories of, um, you know, like where, where and when to fish. I know Simon Gosworth was on actually, uh, episode, uh, number nine. And, uh, and he is, uh, basically talking about how in the UK they have a website that has a link for like when to fish it, all the, all the beats and things like that. I know obviously it's different up in, uh, in BC, but do you know of anything like that? 
Oh, not really as far as, yeah, where and when. I mean, there's there's a guy named Noel Geiger up here. He has a website that um, he posts, I think, fishing reports every week. And, okay. you know, he's not going into the real secret spots. But sure. he'll be, oh, yeah, the Kitimat, uh, you know, was fishing well this week. The coho have arrived. Or here's some guys with some early Chinook. Uh, so, you know, they're in there. And yep. so, I mean, the Kitimat's one of the most popular rivers around. It has a hatchery on it, which is one of the only hatcheries we have up here in this area. And he, um, you know, so there's lots of reports from there and it's, it's, uh, you know, yeah. nothing that's too secret, but you know, the, the one thing that, that I look at a lot of is if you just want to fish the Skeena main stem for steelhead or salmon, um, is the test fishery. Um, they have a website here where they, they actually go every day in the summer from, you know, late June till sometimes September and they catch, uh, they set a, a gill net out for an hour at every slack tide. So, you know, usually three times a day for one hour, they catch the fish in there, the salmon, steelhead, and then they, uh, they post on the, the website how many fish they caught oh, wow. and, uh, they're calibrated. So I think steelhead, every steelhead they catch in that net, um, equates to about 245 steelhead that would have swam by that day. So that's kind yeah. of the estimate. Uh, I mean, it's just an estimate, but um, you know, we do the same thing for, you know, sockeye and Chinook mm-hmm. and pinks and whatever. If that's your target that day and you see that there was a big push of steelhead or a big push of Chinook or coho, then, uh, yeah, you can kind of get an idea when that push will be coming through terrace or maybe you drive down the Skeena to somewhere and, and knowing that, uh, yeah, they had big numbers of steelhead, uh, three days ago. So you kind of, okay, well, they're swimming 10 to, you know, 15 kilometers a day, you know, whereabouts is that going to put them on the Skeena, you know, to target them. So that's a resource I use a lot is, uh, you know, if you see that there's, you know, maybe there was a big commercial opening, uh, you know, which, you know, we don't get a lot of now, but sometimes once a week during the sockeye season, then yeah, you may, there's going to be a a bit of a lull there for a day or so on, uh, for all the species, salmon and steelhead. So you kind of figure out, you know, where would be a good spot to fish, uh, you know, based on that, go up above terrace or below, so you're not yeah. getting impacted by that commercial opening. So, okay, uh, but that's a good resource is that the Tai Test Fishery page, yeah, and uh, updates every day. So it's cool. uh, it's a resource. And then, like I said, the fishing reports, the tackle stores are good. We got a few tackle stores here, um, and the guys there are pretty good, pretty knowledgeable, and they're not going to give away the secrets, but they'll at least tell you that you know fish are being caught, they're in the system, or you know what it's like on the most popular areas. Uh, another uh, fishing tackle store in Kitimat um, as well. So they can, they'll be giving out reports there. So it's, um, yeah, those are some of the things. And then, yeah, I mean, some guys are, you know, if you take them out for a beer maybe or something, yeah. maybe they'll uh, give you a bit more information, uh, yep. you know, when uh, when you're up here and, you know, you can befriend some of the guys out there on the on the river and, you know, some of them will, you know, share some knowledge and, and that. Like, you know, I'm always freely you know, sharing knowledge on the Skeena and that sure. just because it's, you know, it's it's a big river, the fish are migrating and, you know, where to go fish and, and, and when and that kind of thing. But it's, uh, yeah, it's it's tough sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I was going to note again that um, um, the the link to the, the fishery, I'll definitely put that in the show notes. And I think I was looking here on my computer, I think I'm going to have um, – uh, I think if folks just go to, they can search, uh, Rob Bryce, um, episode 10. I think even if Google search that, that, that that'll pop yeah. up this episode and they can go into the show notes to take a look here. Um, cool. Um, so we're getting uh, pretty close here. I got a, a couple more, uh, big questions I want to get to, and then, uh, and then we'll kind of move along. Um, well, I guess here's a simple one, maybe, um, as far as flies, you know, we talked a little bit about the, some of the dry flies. Do you have a couple of patterns you like to use of, you know, you just your typical um swinging patterns for for dry flies uh no just your typical oh, for any fly. yeah and just any fly what's the common thing yeah you like to i use? don't even know that to be honest because i tie try and tie most of my own i don't even know what i call them and i pretty much use them extensively i mean i call them you know the yeah. big red or yep. you know orange crush or i just make totally. up these uh kind of stupid names but they're basically all intruder flies uh okay you know with a little uh you know, a little bit of weight on them and a little bit of, um, you know, flash on them as well. So a little bit of, um, you know, tinsel in there, marabou. I mean, yeah. they're nothing fancy. They don't look like a work of art, but, yep. you know, when you see them in the water, they actually, uh, they look good. Tube flies, I, you know, I got a little tube fly kit and I love uh, tying tube flies as well. Okay. Um, but to be honest, you know, I would say for myself, uh, I am not a huge uh, fly tire and in getting into, you sure. know, more just the uh, tie my, you know, 
three or four patterns and oh, yeah. that seems to work uh, for me for everything. And like I said, I don't switch them up all the time and and uh, change them. So, yeah, I don't even, to be honest, I don't yeah. even know well, like what you call these things that... Uh, like you that, said, that, the red, uh, you know, the color is probably more important than any of the names. That's the... You can go into any store here and, and or tie any intruder style and you know, if you're, you know, if it's just steelhead, you don't want them too, too big. Yeah. Um, you know, unless the water's really dirty or murky, you're, you're going to want a bigger profile and you might want to uh, extend them a bit longer. But, um, are you tying yeah, them pretty, I, pretty sparsely? I know there's some intruders, you know, if you got a, you know, a three inch intruder or something like that, you could tie it pretty heavily dressed. How, how do you do them? I would say pretty medium. I don't like it. So it's like this big chicken going out there yeah. and I like the sink as well. So the more marabou and that seems to I find just holds it up in the water, so I wouldn't say it's. Uh, but I definitely like the wave action, you know, some of the ostrich hurl and that on there. And I don't yeah. know, I I just experiment a little bit, but to be honest, they all kind of look the same when they get in the water, and I yeah, think they, they all look good. That uh, they look way better when they're in the water, and you see that uh, you know that big red thing, uh, you know, swinging across the. You know, or I'll tie some small ones sometimes, and you know, when it's really these real tiny systems and that, uh, you know, where they they might be a little bit spooky, but um yeah to be honest i don't get uh fly tying is probably not my you know i don't spend hours and hours i just tie enough to to keep me going and yeah. uh and do my patterns and That's then cool. spend more of my time researching where to go yeah and, and uh, logistics and stuff like that as opposed to to uh and same thing with the rods and the setups and i don't get too hung up on all that stuff either yeah. and i got my setups they work fine and yep. you know i don't have uh you know, I got lots of tips, but, uh, you know, it seems I'm always using the same tip, you know, every yeah. day that I go out. So yeah, exactly. not like having three or four rods all set up and, you know, a whole myriad of systems in that, uh, right. rather that's, just keep it, that's, that's keep more it simple. For, yeah, exactly. That's more for the, uh, the fly fishing industry, right? They always have, yeah. uh, there's always like Simon said, I think in the last one, there's always a new, you know, there's a, every year there's, there's a new thing coming out. So that's part of the deal. Yeah. Cool. And um, everyone tries yeah. to keep up speed on them and they want the latest and greatest and, you know, yeah. which is, but it, uh, well, yeah. and I think what you say, you're saying here is something that's been talked about from other guests we've had is that people, especially when they get online, they're reading and reading and reading and just, just kind of getting overwhelmed or really, they just need to pick a setup and go out and start fishing, you know, yeah, exactly. And, and that's the that yeah. bottom line. Cause that's the only way you're going to really learn to do it. Um, and you mentioned earlier about uh, guiding and teaching. So you're doing a little bit of guiding now. Out yeah, there? yeah, I do. Uh, um, you know, I did. I don't know, a fair bit this summer actually for for uh, a friend of mine. I have you know a couple jet boats and that and rafts, and so I was pretty much set up for that. And I didn't know how I'd like it, uh, but I, I thought it was a lot of fun. We had people from all over the world, uh, you know, from Ireland, the UK, mm-hmm. and from the United States, and Denmark, Sweden, and yeah, it was pretty exciting watching cool. these guys. Uh, you know, catch steelhead and, and, uh, get so excited, uh, you know, about this, this fish and, and knowing, you know, I fished a lot of, you know, a lot of rivers, but a lot of times I'm not fishing them every day. But when I'm out on some of these systems that I was on, I was fishing them fairly regularly and you got a pretty good idea where the fish were sitting. And, and, uh, you know, you could always get that guy who maybe hadn't got a fish yet today near the end and set him up and say, okay, if you do exactly what I tell you yeah. here, you are going to get a fish. And it's pretty cool knowing that, uh, you know, you know, the fish are sitting there and he swings through there and boom, he gets one and everything comes together. And so that yeah. was, uh, that was pretty exciting. It just, yes, there are lots of them are so appreciative too, of, uh, having the opportunity and fishing in some pretty amazing places. We fished a lot of remote stuff that mm. the guy I worked for. We're not fishing a lot of the, you know, the stuff where there's, you know, other people in boats and that we, we would spend a lot more time driving and boating and that to yep. get the, the places where we wouldn't see other people. And I think they liked more of that too, the adventure of it. So we would tell sure. them that, you know, we got a long drive today, but you're going to have an adventure, you know, in the other, in the jet boat, or you're going to go out and see grizzly bears when we're there and, yep. you know, whales and other stuff out in the ocean. And so, mm. yeah, I think that part of it, uh, so I actually, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, uh, was a lot of fun and had uh, pretty much all my experiences were were pretty good. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. And you mentioned earlier about uh, nymphing, so I, I know the swinging game there is is a big part of it. But do you guys do some uh, tossing uh, nymphs out there as well? Yeah, I would say you know egg patterns and that are um, you know we didn't do a lot of it just because the fish are uh, pretty aggressive. But it's I would say it's far more effective, um, especially later on, like in you know November, December. The fish, some of them get a little more. 
you know, maybe not quite as aggressive, yeah. but, uh, but you know, if you, uh, you know, put a little indicator on your, uh, spay rod and chuck it out there and, and the little bead or egg pattern or something, yeah, it can be, uh, mm-hmm. it can be pretty deadly. But, you know, to be honest, I was thinking about someone asked me this this year and I said, we had a couple clients try that and, uh, you know, just after we'd gone through the pool a couple times and I said, well, if you want to try this, it's usually pretty effective, but I don't think we actually caught one fish on it this year yeah. on the, uh, but with that being said, when I'm out by myself, sometimes or friends, you know, we'll go through with the swung fly or dry fly. And then, you know, if we got more time there, the one guy will go through with a, you know, egg pattern or bead or whatever at the end and, uh, just see if there's anything else in there sometimes. So it is, it can be, uh, you know, really effective. And then the guys out there using, you know, their, their uh, gear rods and that, um, Mm -hmm. you know, with a a float and that can be really effective using that, uh, that system, just letting that float go down with, uh, you know, a mile down the river, it seems so, but, uh, But yeah, I don't know. There's something about catching it on a swung fly too, and it makes it pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of a big part of it. Um, and you mentioned uh, earlier about some other, some coho and other species. Do you uh, fish for uh, what? What are all the species? Uh, is that mainly what you you target out there? Yeah, I would say that you know the the, the beauty of this area as well is we have all five um, species of Pacific salmon um, and steelhead, and they're same thing. They're quite varied in their their timing in that too. So you'll start getting some Chinook. Uh, or king salmon, uh, you know, showing up in, um, you know, late, late April, early May. And then, yeah, you'll be catching coho right until November, December, <laughs> you know, they're not fresh ones by then, but there's some systems that still have fresh coho in November. So, and then you have, uh, you know, the, the big sockeye runs, um, you know, we have pink runs that are, they're pretty good size. You have chum runs here on, <laughs> uh, some of the systems and then coho, uh, starting in, uh, in August and, and September, November, October, yeah, they're uh, um, a lot of fun on the fly. We we fish some systems that are they're just so in tune to the fly, and then swinging them too with usually a little twitch or something. Yeah, to, yeah. They love that little bit of twitch or strip, but even on the swung fly sometimes. And I don't get fussy to be honest. I love steelhead fishing, but you know when I can be out in some of these systems just swinging and you yeah. know you're letting everything go anyways. And that coho, uh, nice uh, 10, 15 pound coho grabs your fly. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. So. Um, and there are some amazing spots that, you know, the coho, same thing, every little system out here seems to have coho, um, as well. So it's, they're pretty, uh, you know, they're, you know, easier to catch and, and, and pretty good numbers of coho and, and Chinook, you know, we do a bit of that. They're pretty tough on the fly, but, um, yeah. And you get one on the, the fly, even a 20 pounder, you're in for a, you're in for a good battle. Uh, yeah. you need a you know, big nine weight, 10 weight rod and, you know, heavy lines and that, uh, and you're dredging bottom, you know, for those most of the time. And mm. but I wouldn't say that's my thing as much, um, you know, just because it's, you know, you can get them on the skeena, but uh, the water's usually a bit dirtier and that. And you yeah. know, the Kitimat River has Chinook, but yeah, you can. Like I said, the the whole summer here is is um, just full of fish. And you know, me and my friends, you know, we would come out every year, late July, early August, and uh, we call it the Grand Slam. And usually within the first three days, you know, one of us or all of us would catch every species nice. of salmon and steelhead on Damn. the fly. That's so amazing. Pretty special time of year. If someone That's just amazing. wants to to kind of go for that grand slam, uh, come out to, to Paris and, in the skiing area in and late July, some, early August, and you and can get into everything. That's cool. And get some good, uh, so a little bit uh, warmer weather as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's you can be cool. out there in your t-shirt fishing, uh, on the, the gravel bars. And yeah, I mean, nice. everything comes up the skiing at that time of year, except, uh, they have chum, but they're pretty rare to catch chum on the the skeena on the fly. But Kitimat's yeah. just a drive, and it's loaded with chum. And you know, between yep. the two systems, you can uh, get all five species uh, of salmon and steelhead. Uh, usually, pretty easy, or you know, with a bit of work. Yeah, that's really cool. Awesome. Okay, Rob. Well, I think that's about all I have for you. You want to uh, maybe give us uh, let us know what's going on. Maybe in the next six months, are you going to be uh, getting plenty of fishing in, or anything new coming up? Yeah, yeah, I'm just same old things. Uh, can't wait till uh, you know March. Um, now that I'm living here in Terrace, it'll be a little bit easier access for me to get out to some of these systems. And uh, got a few of them in the back of my mind that haven't uh, fished yet. So I actually get pretty excited going on Google Earth and planning out logistics and that for uh, some spring trips. So that'll be my uh, you know March April here. Uh, I can't wait to to get out there and start targeting some of these uh, these small uh, spring steelhead systems. 
Perfect. Perfect. Well, if we uh, if we get back up there, I'll definitely uh, hit you up, and maybe we can yeah. grab, maybe we can grab a beer on the river. That'd be awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. If you definitely come up here, I'll uh, I'll take you out somewhere too, and we can uh, yeah, go for a fish. Cool. Sounds good. Uh, so, where can people uh, find you if they want to get in touch or if they have questions? Probably my Instagram account would be the easiest. Um, the fish in BC, so F I S H N B C. Okay. Um, at Instagram, I, I mean email. I have one, gloomis one at telus dot net. Okay. Um, so another email account. If people want to send me an email. Uh, got any questions or whatever? Um, yeah, I can definitely or hopefully try and uh, help them out. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, hey, uh, Rob, really appreciate you coming on here. You uh, provided a bunch of tips. I think I know I learned a lot here. So I uh, wanted to thank you again for coming on and, and talking and, and providing all the information. Okay. Well, good luck uh, with the podcast. Okay. Thanks. We'll see okay, you. Thanks. Yeah. So there you go. If you want to find Rob, go to Instagram and just search for Fish in BC. That's F I S H N B C. And if you want to find all the show notes for this episode, just go to wetflyswing.com and search for episode 10. Uh, if you, you can also go to Google and search for Rob Rice, episode 10, and that should pop up. Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show. Uh, if you have a chance and you're on iTunes, it'd be really helpful if you can leave a review for this show. Um, this helps other people that are trying to learn how to steelhead fish and get into their first fish, find the episode and maybe help them along. So... I wanted to say thanks for that, and I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and hopefully seeing you on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. 